0: God, as we've gathered in this sanctuary today, many of us coming from different walks of life, coming from different areas, different neighborhoods, different communities, different circumstances, different situations, but we sit here presently in desperate need of a word from you. So we say, Lord, speak. God, is uh, as eloquent as Jeremy is, and God, even as much as I've prepared and studied, God, uh, we don't need to hear from me. We don't need to hear from Jeremy. We need to hear from you, O oh Lord. So we call on the one that's well able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we say, Lord, speak. We need to hear from you. Be with us in this place as we open up your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Let's thank God for Jeremy and the band. And they've led us in worship, the singers. It's a great job. Well, this morning, before we open up the word of God, I want to issue a challenge. I want to issue a challenge. Uh, first of all, just by way of announcement, I am a black man. I'm a black man. I know I've said that before, but we got some new people, all right. Um, and and not only that, but I say that because we have a, a senior pastor who I would say uh, is one who has soul. I, I I say he is one with soul. Would, would anybody agree with that? Y'all think he got a little soul? All right. Now he ain't no James Brown, but. Um, he, he, he got a little soul. And, and I was looking at this series and this sermon series. And this is the Songs of Experience. And I don't see any reason why in a series called the Songs of Experience, we shouldn't have the pastor sing in the middle of a sermon. I think that that should be able to happen. So I am challenging our senior pastor uh, to sing in the middle of his sermon. And, and I'm, I'm preaching again in August. Well, at least I was until I did this challenge. Uh, this this may be it for me. I'm like, what happened? To, what happened to Albert? I hadn't seen him in, in a long time. Well, ever since that Sunday he talked about being black and singing, he ain't been back before. You know, but uh, but but I, if if Greg will sing in his sermon, uh, then in August when I preach again, I will sing in my sermon. Is that a deal? Is that a deal? All right, all right. So we we got a challenge going on, so we'll see. So stay tuned, stay tuned, we'll see what happens, all right? Uh, Psalm 27 is where you can find me this morning. Psalm 27, as we take another step in this series, Songs of Experience. The author and writer of this great song is David, and we want to allow David to encourage our hearts today. Psalm 27, when you have it as is our custom, would you just please stand with me? for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 27, I'll read verses 1 through 14, hear the words of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell though an army may encamp against me my heart shall not fear Though war may rise against me in this i will be confident one thing have i desired of the lord and that will i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said seek my face. My heart said to you, your face Lord I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servants away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. Because of my enemies do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen up against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall. Strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is our Father's word. You may be seated. I remember uh, growing up as a young boy, I would spend the summers over at my grandmother's house and uh... my grandmother had a ritual that we would do all the time all the time regardless of what was happening regardless of what was going on in the world we knew that at least one night throughout the week all of the world would stop as we would sit down to watch the latest episode of matlock (laughs) my grandmother was an avid matlock watcher and every week we would tune in to watch matlock now matlock Was an older gentleman. He's the old. He's 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 the post Andy Griffith. Uh, He's he's not the young edition, but he's the older edition. And uh, I I like the old edition. I got they. They both are really good. But. uh, In his older days, he put off the sheriff's uniform and in Matlock, he would wear this seersucker suit every single week. I don't know if he couldn't afford another suit or what the deal was, but Matlock would wear this same suit every single week. And Matlock was this lawyer, but he was this investigative lawyer. They It would be these cases that would be impossible to solve, these cases where there would be this victim and the odds would be stacked up against him. And it would be one thing after the next and layers and layers of evidence that would be stacked against them and they would be pushed over into a corner and it would almost look as if they would look at their case, look at their situation and say, this looks like a job for Matlock. And Matlock would come on the scene and moment by moment, story by story, he would begin to unveil new truths in the case. And he would begin to unveil and tear down some of these walls and begin to, to, to showcase these, high, these, these highlights of, of truth. And all of a sudden you would see Matlock in the courtroom solving the case every single Week. I, I don't care what was happening in the case. I don't care how bad the situation was, how high the case was, smacked, was stacked against the person. Every single episode, Matlock would always solve the case. So why did you tune in every week? Well, we didn't tune in though, to, as, as a question to see if Matlock could do it. We never watched in doubt of Matlock's ability to save the case. But we would just tune in, tune in every week to just sit back and watch how's Matlock gonna do it this week. How is Matlock going to, how is he going to pull this one out? And we would sit as the case would build and build and say, oh, wow, that door is closed. That door is closed. What is Matlock going to do? And at the end of every episode, Matlock would come out and would save the day. It was never a question of if he was going to do it. It was always a matter of how is he going to do it this time? as we look at david and these first few verses of the story it's almost as if he's he, he, he's giving a testimony of his experience with with a God who was a lot like Matlock it was a God who had walked with him who had, who had journeyed through him with him through some very difficult times and David is talking about his great God and as he's talking about his great God we hear David throwing in the evidence of how the cases were stacked against him throwing in the stories throwing, against, throwing in all of the information that was stacked against him and he's giving every reason why David should have lost why every reason why David should have been taken out of here every reason why David shouldn't be here but he talks about this in the vein of uh, in a way to point us to God's greatness in spite of the great trial that he faced let's read it together Uh, verse 1 Psalm 27 He says the Lord is my light and my salvation David asked the question whom shall I fear The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here it is. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Wait a minute. Did he say eat up my flesh? David David literally says there are people who are coming to destroy me. They're not coming to talk. They're not coming to negotiate. They're not coming to try to figure out how we can work this out. There are people who have been assigned to David who are coming to destroy him. People who are coming to take him out of here. People who who don't want to see David anymore to take the very breath from his body. There are people who are coming to destroy him. And he said, when my enemies, when they came to destroy me, to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. They were coming to destroy me. But they didn't make it to me. He says, he says, verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. He says, though I'm surrounded by my enemies. There's a whole army and they're all uh, encamped around about me. They're all around me. I'm set up to be destroyed. All the evidence in the case says David's life should be over. Everything, every scenario, everything I find my way in, there are no doors of escape. There are no ways out. All of the evidence, everything points to David's demise. He said, although I'm surrounded by enemies and although they're surrounded by me and there appears to be no way out, I will not be afraid. I will be confident. Why? Because this looks like a job for God. God has a way to set you up to where you have no other choice but to call on Him. I'll say that again, David. David shows us. He says, God has set me up in such a way. Uh, a lot of the people, the clients that call on Matlock, they're set up in such a way to where the evidence is stacked so high against them to where they can't get it, they can't get out of the situation themselves. It's beyond their control. It's beyond their influence. It's beyond their power. They've lost all ability to navigate their way out of this. They've got a call for help. So they look at it and say, this looks like a job for Matlock. David looks at his situation, looks at all the enemies, looks at all what he's got going against him, recognizes that I can't overcome this by myself. All of my power, all of my influence cannot help me navigate through this storm I find myself in. Therefore, this looks like a job for God. And David says it in such a way to where he's not even questioning whether or not God's going to do it. He's not questioning whether or not God's going to deliver him out. You can tell that David has a rapport with God. He has a long history. He has a long-standing resume with God's victories in his life. So he doesn't put it in a way to where he's wondering if God's going to do it. David is almost saying, I wonder how God's going to bring me out of this this time. This morning I want to talk about the perfect storm. The perfect storm, the opportunities that God allows in our life to show his glory. The opportunities in the times in our life when the evidence is stacked against us. Have you ever been in a situation where there's absolutely nothing you could do to get yourself out of it? I know you probably got yourself in it, but have you ever got into something that you couldn't get, you couldn't talk your way out, you couldn't negotiate, you couldn't compromise, your influence, your power was shut down. Have the decks ever been stacked so high against you to where you had absolutely no other choice but to look at your storm, look at your situation and say, now this is a job for God. This morning I want to talk about the perfect storm, those times in our life where God allows storms to come. Now, now, now I say the word perfect, but these storms, these storms, it's not it's not to provoke the idea of of without blemish or without failure. But this idea of perfect comes from the Greek word teleos, and it's this idea of of being full or complete or being made whole. Here it is to fulfill that that it was designed to carry out. To to fulfill the purpose that it was designed to carry out. These storms have a godly purpose in our life. And these perfect, these godlike, these teleost storms have come into our life that they may fulfill the purpose that God has designed them to fulfill in our life. The perfect storm. God will allow some things to come in our life. Things that we weren't excited about, things that we're not excited to see, things that we're not that we're just not happy, things that we're not throwing parties about, things that we're not sending out invitations for. But let me tell you something. You were surprised by the storm, but God wasn't. It's not as if he's sitting up in heaven watching episodes of Matlock and all of a sudden looks down in your life and see, Whoa, she has a storm. God knew that the storm was coming. And God, friend, has prepared you for the storm, even when you didn't know. He was getting you ready, even when you had no idea what was coming. David talks about this idea of storms coming in his life. But even in the midst of storms, he's learned not to be afraid. He's learned not to be dismayed, because he knows that God will take care of him. He's learned to take the odds. He's learned to look at when the evidence is stacked against him. He's learned to look at great obstacle, great trial, great tragedy, and say, now this looks like a job for God. He's learned to sit back and ask the question, how is God going to bring me out of this one? Friends, I pray this morning as we look into God's word, that you will learn the beauty of the storms that God has allowed to come in your life, and that you will look at these opportunities and to be able to say, this looks like a job for God. There's a story of a a man, Tony Evans tells this story all the time, of a man and a woman who were going on a cruise, and this cruise uh, begin to face some turbulent water, uh, uh, if, if there is a such thing, turbulent water, turbulent, whatever, uh, it's some rough water, and, and, and the captain sent everyone off the deck. They closed down the dining hall. One thing you don't do at a cruise is you don't close down the dining hall, right? Uh, you, you just don't do that. Well, they closed down the dining hall, and they sent everyone to their cabins, and, and this woman that was there in her cabin, she had been there for several hours, and she was sitting there with her husband, and she had grown frustrated. I'm just growing more and more frustrated and she she's frustrated and upset and she finally out of her frustration got tired of sitting in her room got tired of being out not being able to be out on the deck and missing her a midnight buffet. She was just frustrated. So she said, I'm going to call the captain's office. And her husband said Oh, Lord. The captain's in trouble. Uh, so she says, I'm going to call the captain's office. So she calls the captain's office and she says, Hello, I want to speak to the captain. And the, and the lady said, Well, ma'am, um, the, the captain is busy navigating through this, this storm. Uh, uh I, can I take a message? He said, well, 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 I'm upset and I want to speak to the cap- captain. Are you going to give him the message? She said, Yes, ma'am. If you give me a message, I'll, I'll be glad to give him that She said, All right. Well, here it is. I paid a whole lot of money to be on this ship and i didn't pay all that money to be in my room all night how long we got to stay in our rooms tonight i spent i saved up all year to be on this ship and i didn't come to be in this room so does how long is it how long is it going to take him to figure out how to get us through this storm and and, and the second question is does he know what he's doing how long has he been is this his first cruise ship is this is his first time taking people on the crew how long has he been doing this i want to see his resume well, i want to what kind of experience does he have and thirdly, how long I got to stay in my room? I'm about to miss the, the midnight buffet. She's irate. The, the lady, but just being just as nice, she said, Well, ma'am, I'm going to take these concerns straight to the captain. I'm going to go and I'm going to take these questions to him. She said, All right. Hang up the phone. And the husband is like, Oh, Lord. So they're just sitting there. All of a sudden, the phone rings. The captain' office calls back. Pick up the phone. Hello? She said, well ma'am, hello, yes, I, I have a message to you from the captain. She says, oh, oh okay, alright. She's a little surprised that he called back so quick. She said, okay. She said, well ma'am, the captain has, uh, two, uh, responses to your, to your, to your concerns. Uh, uh, number one, one of two responses is, number one, he wants you to go to bed. Ma'am, he says, go to bed because they're going to be up all night navigating through this storm and there's no points in both of y'all being up worried. So he says he's going to stay up and he wants you to go to bed. And and he says, number two, ma'am, he wants you to rest easy. Rest easy because not only is he qualified to drive this ship, not only has he been doing this ship for a long time, not only is his resume uh, 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 top, of, top of the line, but the engineers who designed this ship, they designed it in such a way to where they had this storm in mind. They designed and crafted out every corner, every crack, every crevice of this ship. And this ship has been meticulously designed with these types of storms in mind. So not only, ma'am, does he want you to go to bed, but he wants you to rest easy. Sometimes in our frustration, as the storms of life begin to blow in our lives, it becomes very tempting to call up Captain Jesus and begin to express our frustration. God, how long will this storm last? How long do I have to wrestle? How long do I have to wait? How long do I have to worry? How long will I have to struggle? How long will I have to live a life in these tensions? God, how long? What, what's going on up there? Do you, do you know what you're doing? Should I, should I consider going somewhere else? Should I consider praying to another place? God, how long will I go through this storm that I find myself in? Now I can hear the Spirit of God saying to you and I today through his scriptures, go to bed. But not just go to bed, but rest easy. Because the Creator, when the Creator and the Maker of this whole world, when he took you and blew breath in your life, and when he designed your body, and when he laid out the plans for your life, he planned and designed your life with this storm in mind. I'm encouraged by the scriptures because it says he would not put more on you than you can bear. Go to bed and rest easy because he will never leave you nor forsake you. Go to bed and rest easy because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Go to bed and rest easy because all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord. Go to bed and rest easy easy because your life was designed with this storm, friends, in mind. Go to bed and rest easy because the perfect storm comes to show the strength of God in your life. Second thing, uh, David does. is He he talks about this idea, this concept of the perfect storm. But secondly, as we pick up in verse 4, we see here the perfect request. The perfect request. Now David, 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 David is a guy who, who has the greatest of successes and the greatest of failures. I mean, David is, this, is the king of Israel, does all his great stuff, but David is not only a adulterer, he's a murderer, he's a liar, he's deceitful. I mean, this guy, if you, if you just look at David on paper, you probably wouldn't hire him to be the local pastor, right? Especially when you start reading about his kids. Y'all ever read about David's kids? You're talking about some bad, crazy kids? David got some crazy kids. Read some of them so they sleeping with each other. I mean, just crazy stuff. So, I mean, even if you were considering that, you 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 even if you wanted to get David as the pastor, you would bring him over. Once them kids showed up for dinner, it would be all over. You'd be like, oh, this guy ain't getting a job. David is not getting a job. But you know what? I, I, I love that about David because God used him in such a miraculous way. And if God can use a, a, a guy like David, then I know that there's hope for Albert Tate. I know that there's hope for a guy like Albert Tate. God, when he's passing out compliments... David, with all of these mess-ups, David calls out. God refers to David as one who is after his own heart. (sighs) So when a guy like David prays, what does he he say? A guy that God says is after his own heart, one that's found so much favor with the Lord. What does a guy like David pray? What does his list look like? David said, I pray for one thing. And one thing only. And and, and he says, one thing have I desired in the Lord, and that will I seek after. Basically, David said, and I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to do the extra work that it takes for me to keep this. He says, one thing that I desire, and that will I seek after. Here it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I don't have a whole list of things. I don't don't have a grocery list of needs, although I got enemies coming to try to destroy me. I'm surrounded by people who want to take me out of here. But God, I'm still not coming to you with a grocery list. I'm not coming to you with a whole line of items. One thing have I desired, and that I will seek for, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. God, if I got to go through these storms, if I got to fight my enemies, I don't want to fight by myself. May I dwell in your presence. He says, one thing that I desire. David could have prayed anything. He could have prayed that the storms not even come. He could have prayed that that, that there be peace, that his adversaries would, would, would make amends with one another. But he did not. Because he knew that that was a necessity for his life to have storms. Now this is where I lose a lot of Christians right here. Because we, we we think that this Christian package comes with a nice new Bible, a nice little cross that can adorn our chest, and with no problems, no worries, with every day being Sunday, every time you go around people singing and people's breath never stink. Friends, that is not Christianity. That is a bad episode of Disney. That's not Christianity. Christianity isn't, I, I love it, people have gotten these, and I and, and I have, I, I, I own a cross, there's a beautiful little cross that you put on your little chest, and we think, that's Christianity, that's who it is. No, friends. Christianity comes with the cross. Not that you hang on your chest, but one that you bear on your back. Hear me in this place today. There are a lot of people talking about, and I talk about this all the time, this bless-me-bless-me theology, where if you just come to Christ, your life is just going to never have problems, it's going to have no friends. James says, you will have Trials. Jesus himself said, if you want to follow me, likewise you take up your cross and you follow me. This journey comes with storms. This journey comes with trials and tribulations. That's why David doesn't pray that the storms be removed. But he says, Lord, if I got to go through some storms, I don't want to go by myself. God, you walk with me. If I got to face the Red Sea, I don't want to face it by myself. God, you face it with me. If I got to stand in rain, God, I know that you can be the shelter in the time of storm. So God, come and cover me. One thing have I desired. Many of our prayers are praying that God would take away the storm, that he would change my circumstance. I put before you today that God may not change your circumstance. He may not change your storm, but I can guarantee you that he will change you. This isn't about your storm leaving. It's about you experiencing the transforming power of God and his strength being made perfect in your life. He may not change the storm. He may not change the situation. He may not change the circumstance. Some of you may be praying, God, I want a new job because this job is just so terrible. And the people, these are the worst eight hours of my life. When I go to work every day and it's just terrible. And that's, 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 that's a noble prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. But you got to be open. you got to be open when you go to God with stuff like that. you got to be open to the idea that he may not change your job. But he might want to change you in the job. See, because God can do a work in you to where you can go to the same place with the same people, with the same issues, but see them totally different. Because God has done a work in your life. And you go to work not in your flesh, not in your own ideas, but you go to work in his presence. (laughs) And when you're in his presence, you have his peace. <laughs> and when you when you have his peace you can experience his power. When you can experience his power you can experience his provision in your life. David says one thing that I desire and that that I will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and and admire his beauty. So I'm not spending time looking at my circumstances, but I'm looking at the beauty of God and his divine ability that we're in the midst of all things going wrong. In the midst of, as my grandmother used to say, in the midst of hell and high water, God hides me in the secret place. He He covers me, not just to hide me from my enemies, but to hide me from being distracted by those things so I can be mesmerized and inquire in his temple to focus on the beauty of God. It's the ability to see a perfect storm and to respond, to make the right request. How do you pray? You pray this. You say, God, if I got to go through this, I don't want to go by myself. I want to dwell in your temple. Thomas A. Dorsey, a a, a phenomenal secular jazz musician in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Thomas A. Dorsey came on the scene and he traveled all across the world playing wonderful jazz and secular music. Thomas A. Dorsey would later become one of the, the one who would be known as the father of gospel music. How did he go from being this great secular jazz musician to being the father of gospel music? Well, in 1932, Nettie, his wife, was pregnant with their first child. They were expecting to have a little boy. Well, during childbirth, Nettie died. And so did their little boy. And In the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that storm, Thomas A. Dorsey didn't get up and go to the club and drown his sorrow in an alcohol bottle. In the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that storm, Thomas A. Dorsey didn't go and find drugs and to try to numb his pains with drugs. But in the midst of that tragedy and in the midst of that adversity, Thomas A. Dorsey got down on his knees, put pen to paper and wrote these words, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. Let me stand. I'm tired. I'm alone and I'm weak. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on through the fight. Precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on. This song will become one of the first gospel songs ever written. What I want you to notice is that Thomas Dorsey didn't go to the things of the world in the time of storm. But he went before his heavenly father and he basically said, God, if I got to live without my wife, if I got to live without my son, I can't live without you. One thing have I desired and that I'm willing to seek after that I may dwell in your presence. Precious Lord, take my hand. If I got to live without them, I cannot live without. One thing. I don't care what the storm is. I don't care what what the trial is. One thing. You you, got to say, God, if I got to go through all of that, I can't go through it without you. One thing have I desired. Peter, Peter. Peter, another one who's the epitome of contradiction. Peter would do one thing right, and you just stick around, just read a couple of verses, and Peter would totally mess it all up. I mean, Peter, you'd be like, wow, Peter, that was amazing. And you'd be like, oh, Lord, Peter, what are you doing? I mean, Peter was just a, this epitome of contradiction. Let's go to the night in the boat. The night in the boat, uh, notice that there isn't a long line of people trying to, get, trying to get out and walk on water. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus says, come. And the other disciples like... Peter, we're going to let you go head on first, dog. We're just going to sit back and just kind of watch what happened. Peter, the other, other guy's just sit back, but Peter steps up. He says, God, if it's you, I'm going to come. Peter's looking at God, and he steps up. He's on water. He's looking at Jesus, and he's walking. He's focusing. Peter's doing the impossible thing. He's walking on water. Then the storm comes, and Peter starts looking at the waves, and Peter starts looking at the wind, and Peter started to sink. He missed his opportunity, because when you're in a storm, you can't afford to look at the winds. You can't afford to look at the waves, friends, because you begin to sink. And some of you have come in this place today and you've been looking at the winds and you've been looking at the waves and you found yourself seeking. I would encourage you this morning to look at Jesus because Jesus has the divine ability, although winds of life are blowing. And although waves of trials are taking place in your life, he has the divine ability to help you navigate through impossible places and do impossible things when you're able to focus your eyes on Jesus. See, when you're in the presence, He'll turn your, 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 your complaints to compliments. When, 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 when you're in His presence, He'll take your tests and turn them into testimonies. When you're, when you're in His presence, He'll take you from being a victim to becoming a victor. When you are in His presence, He transforms you. And He'll change how you look at your storm. Friends, not only was it perfect storm we see, But David says, I got one prayer. God, if I got to go through this, I don't want to go by myself. And thirdly, perfect response. Perfect response. Verse 14, David says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Basically, David says, wait on the Lord and don't wait with an attitude. Don't wait with an answer. You, you know, you know, husbands, how it is sometimes. You know, it's never happens in my house with my family, but you know, you know, in y'all family, um, you know how it is when when you all ready to go and you rushed and you got dressed and all the kids dressed and your wife is not just not dressed yet and this you trying to get to church and stuff and she just back there just doing extra stuff. You know, we think it's extra, but they say it's necessary. You know, but she just back there doing extra. And we, but you at the door and it's like you got the kids and you're like kid's like, where are we going to go? He's like, Mommy's coming. We're just waiting. You know, just waiting. Just, uh, just rolling your eyes. David says, don't wait like that. Don't wait on God with, a, with, a, with an attitude. If you're real young and dumb in marriage, you'll say something like this when your wife comes out. We waited all that time for this? <laughs> if, if, if something like that just leaks out your mouth, just go and stay at home, dog. Don't even come to church. Don't even... <laughs> It ain't going to do you know. I know as a pastor I should tell you to come, but you just stay at home that Sunday. You, your services will be better served in prayer at the house that Sunday. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> David says if you're going to wait, don't wait like that. But wait in great anticipation, knowing that God is up to something bigger than you. That God is doing something in you that you may not see, that you may not understand right now. And when you wait on God, here it is, He will strengthen your heart when you wait on God he will strengthen your heart so i thought about this this illustration as i thought about uh, this this message I, I saw this this video, and it and it and it, it, it clearly articulates what I'm trying to say. It, it's, it's this idea of it's, it's not it's a great story, but it's not necessarily about the story. But there's a scene where we will see the type a, a type of Christ in the in the Old Testament. In our classes, we study uh, a type of Christ, and basically that, that's our way of saying if Christ was in this scene, he would be that person. If Christ was in this scene, he would be doing that right there. I want us to look at this scene as we consider our response to God and how God responds to us. And I want you to look for the type of Christ in this clip.
1: In a small town in the middle of Washington State, on a field inside a chain-linked fence, in a game fewer than a hundred people saw, a home run memorable not for the distance it traveled, For the game, it decided, but for the meaning, it carried. The last Saturday in April, the second game of a softball doubleheader between Central Washington and Western Oregon. Well, we
2: were both neck and neck fighting for the conference championship.
1: As a senior, this was Sarah Tukolski's last chance to win a championship. She'd never hit a home run before. Not in college, not in her life.
3: A 5'2", I'm not very tall. Um, I'm more a line drive hitter. I don't hit for power.
1: But in the top of the second inning, with two runners on, on the second pitch, that changed. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. I hit that pitch and it just went... (laughs)
2: And we're just cheering, and the runners are cheering us around the base to head home. And then I'm going, where's Sarah?
1: In her excitement, Tukolsky failed to touch first base, so she quickly turned back.
3: Her pivot, like, just didn't pivot with her. And I heard her kind of yell, and she just dropped to the ground, and I was like, oh no just fell immediately and was in a lot of pain just you know I tried to keep my leg straight but I was in so much pain that I couldn't really keep still
1: to with a torn ACL crawled back to first base she was a long way from reaching home plate and keeping her first and only home run when she got back to first base she
3: just she laid there and she hugged on the first base and then I, at that time, I was staring at the base. and I go, what on earth are we going to do?
2: And I turned the umpire standing right next to me. I said, what is the ruling if I put somebody in for Sarah? He said, it'll be a two-run single.
1: If anybody would have on her team would have helped uh, Sarah, she would have been a called, called out. That was the problem. None of Tukolski's teammates were allowed to touch her. That's when Central Washington's Mallory Holtman, a player with more home runs than any other in conference history, a player for the opposing team, spoke up.
2: I went to the home plate umpire and asked if we could pick her up and carry her, and he looked at me a little strange, and the umpire went and said, yes, you can do that. I'm still standing there in shock. I I said, thank you so
3: much. We asked her, so like, is it okay if we pick you up and carry you around the bases? And I say yes, and you know, and say thank you. And she says, you hit the ball over the fence, you deserve it.
1: For that reason only, because she deserved it, Holtman and Wallace began to carry the injured Tukalski, stopping to touch her left foot on each base as the three made their way around the diamond.
3: We actually started laughing because we were just wondering what this would look like to all the people in the band. When I looked up, I, I didn't see, you know, giant like, smiles and screams. I saw emotion and tears and, and people
2: crying. It's a great moment when someone has character to step up and do the right thing at the right time
1: it's emotional you're proud be associated with those kids
2: that's the first home run of the season for number eight, Sarah Tikolsky.
3: the fact is, you know, I I made my goal, I hit a home run and um, Yeah, it's my last at-bat of my career, but I, you know, made my goal, so I'm proud of myself.
1: Mallory Holtman, Liz Wallace, and the Central Washington team lost the game that day 4-2. to Sarah Tucholsky lost the rest of her season and her career to a knee injury. But for the spirit of sportsmanship, a greater victory, made on a long trot around the bases, a trip that truly touched them all.
3: I have a lot of respect for her and put her in high regards, um, her and her teammates. And, you know, I can't thank her enough.
0: I saw those girls come. They said that they asked her. I said, can we carry you? I said to myself, that's it. That's how the Father responds to you and I when we wait on him. Jesus is asking us today, can I carry you? Can I carry you? It's been rough, the storms of life have been blowing, can I carry you? <laughs> it's, it's harder now than it's ever been, can I carry you? You've tried it on your own. You've tried to to fix it. You've tried to do everything that you can to try to manipulate it, to try to make this thing work. You've tried to get yourself out of this storm long enough. You've tried to cover yourself, but that's not enough. The question is today, can I carry you? This is too big for you. You're too small for this. I'm God enough. I'm big enough. Let me carry you. Friends, I know in a room this size, everybody in here is not going through a storm. There's an old preacher that says, that says either you are in a storm, on your way out of a storm, or on your way into a storm. One of the three. This morning, for the next few moments, I just want to speak to those of you that find yourself this morning sitting in a storm. If you're here today, God wants to carry you. You don't have to walk in this storm alone. I can't guarantee you that he'll stop the rain, but I can guarantee you that he will be the shelter in the time of storm, and he will cover you. This morning, we want to have a little response time to this message. You see here on these walls, these pieces of paper, and every week people have taken issues of things that, uh, that they want to put before God, and as a symbol of giving it over to God, they've placed it there in these wailing walls, and these prayer walls, and they've placed it there in your bulletin that you see a little slip of paper. I want to encourage you, if you find yourself needing strength from the Lord today, You find yourself riding out in the midst of a storm. I want you to please feel free to articulate anything you desire, anything the Lord places on your heart. Put that storm, put some of those areas of struggle on this slip of paper. And in a few moments, as Jeremy is going to lead us in a time of worship, I encourage you to come and place those things in the wall. Some of you have been waiting on the Lord. And today, he has come to strengthen your heart. For those of you that say, Albert, I'm not, I'm not in one, but I'm, I'm on my way out of one and I can testify to his goodness. Or I may have one coming and I, I want to make sure that, 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 that I know how to pray. The, the beautiful thing about this video is those, those girls came and they carried her. God will use his community to carry his hurting. This morning, as a community, you may not be in a storm, but I want us just to take time to pray for those that have put things up on the wall. And as a community, for us to come and uplift and carry one another. There may be sitting beside you today someone who needs to be carried. We want to provide an opportunity to carry those people in prayer. As you write down those areas and as you bring them up to the wall, Jeremy's going to begin to play. And after I pray, I want you to feel free to come and place those areas in the wall. And at the end of our service, we're going to pray for all of those things that we find there on our wall. Let's pray. God, for the perfect storm, we confess today, this is a job for God. It's too big for me. It's too much for me to handle. This is a job God, God, as we navigate these rough waters, we come with one request. (laughs) Precious Lord, take our hand. Lead us on. If we were to be real honest in this place, some of us would say, I'm tired, I'm weak, and I feel all alone. So we pray one desire, that we could dwell in your presence and be renewed there. And finally, God, we're willing to wait on you, because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God, as we wait today, strengthen our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you, please come and respond. Place those issues in the wall.